Welcome back to Sideline Exposure. I am your host, Mitchell Crossan, and this is Exposure 110. And this time we are turning back the clocks on another NCAA investigation. And this time, this happened about a decade ago now, so it's been some time. But to be specific, we're talking about the Tattoo Gate or the Tattooed Five, which took place with the Ohio State football program and pretty much rocked the world in 2011. Now, this is known as another scandal, and people still refer to it as a scandal in today's world. I would pump the brakes on that word as I wouldn't really call it a scandal. And maybe you'll agree with me, but you'll see why in a little bit as let's go ahead and dive into the details. In May of 2011, the head coach of the football program at Ohio State, Jim Tressel, announced his resignation. And this was a pretty big deal at the time because Ohio State was a premier program, historically great and still a modern power. They won a national championship under Jim Trestle earlier and had a couple other national championship appearances. They've also beaten Michigan many times. They pull in consistent top recruiting classes, great revenue to the program in multiple 10-win seasons. And even Ohio State sports writers at the time had went on to say that it felt like Jim Trestle was going to be there forever. Now, obviously, you know that no coach is ever going to be there forever, so you don't take it literally. But it felt like Jim was going to be there for maybe another five, six, seven years at least. And the fact that he's continuing to improve Ohio State football was a great leader on the field and off the field. And the Ohio State Athletic Department and Ohio State in general was very happy with Jim. And so it didn't feel like he was going anywhere. So his resignation was a really big deal. But in 2011, he steps down. And when I was digging into this information, I found a really good article written by Bleacher Report, and to be specific, it was written by Zach Durlan in June of 2011. And I would highly recommend you go back and take a look at this article if you're interested. He lays it out very, very well in a part one through five. And so it's split up and he kind of gives you the info in chunks. But let's go ahead and dive on in. So in April of 2010, Durlan points out that Tressel had received emails about five of some of his top players on the team that broke NCAA rules. The big thing here is that Tressel did not forward this message to the Ohio State Compliance Office, which is strike one. And that's a really big deal because if you hear of your star players or any players in general that are committing NCAA violations, it is actually in your contract that you have to forward that email to the Compliance Office directly and you have to do that right away. But he didn't and so off the bat, not a good start. We took a look at in December of 2010, star quarterback Troll Pryor, starting running back Dan Heron, and top wide receiver Debir Posey, along with offensive lineman Mike Adams and defensive lineman Solomon Thomas, were all suspended by Ohio State for the first five games of the 2011 season for mainly two things, selling memorabilia and receiving discounted services at a local tattoo parlor. As a student athlete, and to be blunt, you're not allowed to use your persona to get discounted services. And so that's the first big thing that we're going to dive into are the tattoos that they received. There are also two other main areas of concern that we'll get into, which involved cars and cash, but that'll be a little bit later on. So let's focus on the tattoos for now. In late December 2010, the Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith, who's still the AD now, went on record acknowledging that the five players mentioned committed these NCAA violations in a press conference. And to be specific, this was with Fine Line Tattoo Parlor, who were providing these discounted services, 
and the owner, Eddie, wasn't exactly a good guy anyways, as we also found that he was being investigated at that time for federal drug trafficking. So off the bat, he wasn't somebody that the Ohio State football players should have been involved with anyways. But we were able to find what the players actually gave up for these discounted services on tattoos. The quarterback drill prior sold his 2008 Big Ten Championship ring, Fiesta Bowl Sportsmanship Award, and 2008 gold pants. Now, a quick segue on these gold pants, and if you're not familiar with this, these are given to every Buckeye player after their win over Michigan, which is their big rival and their big rivalry game at the end of every year. It's just a little keychain. It just kind of sits on that around your neck or whatever, but it's gold and it's fun. And to me, I think it's cool. And a lot of players seem to value it, not just because it signifies that you've beaten your rival, but it's kind of a cool thing to hang on to. Clearly, Terrell Pryor in this case didn't care for it and would rather sell it and get a tattoo. And it, look, if that's what he wants to do, fine. It's against the rules, but that was what he did. So that gives you a little bit of information about what the gold pants really are. But in total, after this report came out, Troll Pryor, as well as the other players, had to repay back what this total was. And so the total dollar value for Troll Pryor and the things he gave up came out to around $2,500. And so that was what Troll Pryor had to pay back. Mike Adams and Dan Heron each had to pay back $1,000 each as Adams sold his Big Ten Championship ring and Darren, Dan Heron sold his jersey, pants, and shoes. All game worn. So a little bit of value there. Wide receiver Devere Posey had to repay $1,200 for selling his Big Ten Championship ring. And then linebacker Jordan Whitting also received a punishment, but at a lesser value of only one game suspension for receiving these discounted services. And he isn't really looped in to the Tattoo 5 or Tattoo Gate as much as the punishment for the other five players included five game suspensions for the start of the 2011 season. And look, these players were apologetic and they definitely showed their remorse in a press conference a couple days later and they realized they had made a mistake. And I think that they knew it at the time, the mistake that they were making. But you have to remember these are teenagers, these are college guys. They're not always thinking straight and they may not always care. And they also feel that they can get away with things and keep it on the DL. Nonetheless, obviously, that didn't happen. But after a report came out, they had realized that they should have never done this in the first place. Now, at this point in the 2010 season, when all this information is coming out, the season isn't over for the Buckeyes. They had one more game left to play, which was in the Sugar Bowl against Arkansas. And all of the five players actually were not suspended for the Sugar Bowl game. And now that seemed to be a very controversial decision in many eyes and i think a lot of people were on the same page saying that why didn't you, you why didn't you suspend these guys for this bowl game and why are they waiting to receive their suspension or their punishment until the following year and that's very valid but the problem is that this investigation has just started these reports are still coming out the ncaa was still digging into this and just pretty much needed more time to dig into this before they actually had a full decision on what was going to happen. Now, looking at this Sugar Bowl against Arkansas, the Buckeyes went on to win 31-26, so they were able to at least end the season on somewhat of a positive note. But they really needed everything they got from the star players. And it was important that they were able to play in that game just for the sake of not 
absolutely demolishing that season with nothing but negativity. So now let's go ahead and look forward to March 2011, when reporting started to come out that Jim Tressel had received emails about these infractions and never took any action, as we noted earlier with the fact that he never notified the compliance office about what was going on. The only thing that Jim Tressel did do was forward the info to Terrell Pryor's mentor, which is great, I guess, for Terrell Pryor's mentor, but what is his mentor going to do with that info, and why did Jim do that? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me and it doesn't make any sense to anybody else and so clearly this was a failure by the head coach but with Jim failing to, to notify the compliance office he was actually violating his contract Trestle had previously signed a document in September 2010 stating that he had no knowledge of any rules violations whatsoever so he's blatantly disregarding and violating his contract and it's at the point where it's a pretty easy decision to make that if he's not resigning, he's going to be fired, and it's just not a good look for the university at all. According to this Bleacher Report article, they say that Trestle knew what he was doing and that he tried to cover everything up since the Buckeyes had a pretty good returning team and had an, another shot at not only a Big Ten championship, but had national championship implications as well. Some could say that Jim was just looking out for the confidentiality of his players by sweeping this under the rug. But nobody really bought into this, and I don't really buy into it either. But nonetheless, Ohio State finished the 2010 season 12-1, and winning the share of the Big Ten Championship. And this is before the Big Ten Championship actually put in a game to decide the conference championship winner. But the Bleacher Report article talks about, quote, talk about winning the wrong way, end quote. So, okay, we're going we're gonna to have to pump the brakes a little bit. Because this is a little too much, in my opinion. And this is by no means, there was never any athletic advantage given to Ohio State on this. All the games that they won, the share of the Big Ten Championship, everything was won fair and square. And they still would have won and lost the one game, whether or not they had violated NCAA rules in the first place. This was about teenagers, guys in college getting discounted services on tattoos. There was no athletic advantage, and so I don't understand their quote, talk about winning the wrong way. Yes, they broke rules, but it had no effect on any competitive advantage, so we could pump the brakes on winning the wrong way. They won and did everything they had to do. But as noted, Jim went on to resign, which was definitely the best option at that point. Here, we weren't really sure what else would come to light at this point because the NCAA is continuing to dig, and... At this point, things could have only gotten worse for Jim by staying, and not only for him, but for the Ohio State football program and the Ohio State University as well. So everybody was pretty happy that he moved on. So that's the end of part one with the tattoos. And we mentioned earlier that there were two other parts and two main areas we're gonna, going to discuss being cars and cash. So let's move on to the cars segment. Turns out... Where, where there's smoke, there's fire, and that tattoos was only kind of like a thin layer of smoke leading to a bigger fire elsewhere, or really just the tip of the iceberg. So sticking with this article, Bleacher Report points out that this led to a deeper investigation with records of roughly 50 players being evaluated for owning cars. Former wide receiver Ray Small went on to give a quote to the student newspaper, The Lantern, pretty much spilling dirt on himself as well as, as well as his other teammates. 
And he said, look, there were a lot of guys that sold memorabilia and got deals on cars as well. And he went on to say, quote, they have a lot of dirt on everybody because everybody was doing it, end quote. So five alarm fire. The bells are ringing. This is really not a good look. And it really feels like that Ohio State football is going to get slammed, assuming all this new information is going to be correct. And I don't know why it wouldn't. It wouldn't make sense for a former Buckeye to give false information on himself and everybody else. So in total, there's about 50 cars in total conversation here. These cars were purchased at two different dealerships in Columbus, but there was really one main dealership that a lot of the players would go to. The Columbus Dispatch had reportedly found sales documents of a purchase from defensive end Thaddeus Gibson, who had purchased a Chrysler 300C. And apparently the sale price on the documents that they found was $0. But after this report surfaces, Thaddeus went on to say that he was currently making payments on that car. So it seemed like something was off and the information doesn't match up. The Columbus Dispatch kept digging and then found new documents confirming that the car was sold to Thaddeus for $13,700. So not nothing, but also seemed like a pretty good deal. And it seemed like that he was able to score some sort of discount in obtaining this car. So I was curious and I took a look to Google and a used 2010 Chrysler 300 for sale now goes anywhere from $7,800 to about $12,000 on the higher end. And the MSRP starts around $28,000. So getting it for under $14,000 does seem like a pretty good deal. Aaron Kiffin and Jason Goss were respectively the car salesman and dealership owner who were mainly involved in these deals. And it really seemed like Aaron Kiffin, the salesman himself, was kind of the one spearheading this and was had his hands dirty involved in all this. But they had reportedly received game tickets and attended the 2007 BCS National Championship game and the 2009 Fiesta Bowl pretty much as guests of the players. So you knew that they were going to get something out of it they weren't just giving these discounts or hooking these guys up for no reason. They got something out of it as well. So at this point, we're going to circle back on star quarterback Terrell Pryor. And he was really at the center of this whole scandal. And not only the tattoos and the fact that he had to repay the highest value of the things that he sold. But Terrell Pryor was seen driving multiple different cars during his time at Ohio State. At one point, he was seen driving a Nissan 350Z which had a value of about $20,000. And apparently he drove this car with dealership plates, not even having temporary plates going to and from practice, as well as team meetings. As this is now coming to light at the time, Troll Pryor's mom came out and said, look, here's the bill sale for the car. You can stop you know, talking about this. This is between me and my son. And she said that she was providing monthly payments of $300 a month for 51 months. So, they were, able, they were able to confirm that Terrell was good there and with that car, the Nissan. But the problem is there were supposedly seven other cars that Terrell was seen driving in. Terrell was seen in a 2009 Judge Challenger and received loaner cars, multiple loaner cars from Kiffin, the salesman. And it turns out this was really part of the special treatment that Terrell had received. He had access to free loaner cars, which explains why he was seen in so many cars throughout his time at Ohio State. So we kept digging into this Bleacher Report article, and the writer, Zach Derlin, went on to write this next. Now, I want to say that he really did a great job putting this five-part series together, 
and did a really good job with the investigation that went that went into this article. But this next statement was ridiculous, and we wanted to include the quote. I personally feel the death penalty is warranted in this case due to the number of major violations that appear to have been committed, end quote. So, yes, I'm biased. I'm an Ohio State fan. If you follow the show, you know this. And this hurts me to talk about this and to bring it back. But the death penalty is definitely ridiculous. And that is my unbiased opinion. And we can even look at another investigation like Penn State football. They didn't even get the death penalty for the child molestation and sexual abuse scandal that was going on there. So the fact that you have some college kids that got some discount on cars and got some free tattoos for exchanging some of their memorabilia does not warrant the actual death penalty. And if you're curious of what the death penalty really is, it's the harshest punishment that the NCAA can give out. And it pretty much just shuts down your program completely from doing anything for whatever length of time that they decide. So the fact that, I mean, now this is a Bleacher Report writer, this isn't somebody working for the NCAA. Would have the NCAA actually considered the death penalty for Ohio State? I don't think so. And I think they would have realized that that was ridiculous if anybody brought it up themselves. So we don't have to worry about that. Obviously it didn't happen, but it really takes a lot. It takes sometimes multiple scandals or one huge scandal that overlaps many, many years with a lot of people involved to actually receive a death penalty. So we can rule that out here. But going back to this time in this investigation, why does Hubert Devere Posey's mom said in an interview, which was written in an ESPN article, pretty much made a good point saying, quote, they didn't do anything that any other person wouldn't have done. They looked around to see what they could do to help their families, and there's no crime here. None. They're not involved with agents, they didn't steal anything, and they didn't borrow anything from anybody. It was theirs. Nobody told them, it almost belongs to you. It belonged to them, end quote. So, she's just referring to the the tattoos and the memorabilia that was exchanged. As we noted, we're not allowed to, or not we're, but they are not allowed to exchange their memorabilia that they received as being an amateur athlete and pretty much you could say they're working for the NCAA as a student athlete it's just against the rules that you're not allowed to exchange that and you're also not allowed to benefit off your likeness as a student athlete so while it does seem ridiculous because at the end of the day it was their memorabilia it was their jersey it was their championship rings you should have the freedom to if you want to sell it sell it and get some money a lot of guys probably would value that championship ring more. But it's against the rules. And so whether or not you agree with it is one thing. It does kind of seem silly now. But at the time, it was against the rules. And so that was the biggest problem there. So we've covered the two major areas in tattoos and cars. So now let's talk about the third area of concern, which was the cash that was involved. And unfortunately for Buckeye fans and for Terrell Pryor, we're not stemming away from the star quarterback. And so through an ESPN article written by Tom Ferry and Justin Gubar in June of 2011, Pryor announced through his attorney that he was leaving Ohio State and entering the NFL supplemental draft. It was also announced and reported that he had received thousands of dollars by signing memorabilia from the span of 2009 to 2010, which is a blatant violation of NCAA rules. We don't have to really tell you that. And Pryor reportedly had about 35 to 40 autograph signing sessions 
where he made anywhere from $20,000 to $40,000. Every time he signed something, he would net about $500 to $1,000, depending on the item. So a mini helmet maybe is only worth $500 with a authentic signature, but maybe a game-worn jersey is worth upwards of $1,000. So, I don't know, some passive income for him, maybe a little part-time job. Terrell Pryor, was, <laughs> Terrell Pryor was raking the money in. But this isn't new news um, in the college football world. We've heard this about Johnny Manziel receiving money for signing autographs. A lot of these college kids don't have a lot of money. They're celebrities in their hometown. They could make a lot of money very easily, and so it's not surprising to hear about somebody making some money based off some autographs. Terrell Pryor also had a friend that spoke out to the media, confirming that Terrell was receiving special treatment in the city of Columbus itself, and he reportedly had received thousands of dollars in free food and free drinks, and we kind of just touched base on this, but these guys are celebrities, especially in the Midwest and maybe the South, if there's a not a lot of going on in that city, maybe something like Columbus that doesn't have many sports teams or pro sports teams, I should say. Ohio State football is huge. And if you're the star quarterback for a football program that is very successful, people are going to recognize you and they're going to know who you are and they're going to want to buy you food, give you free drinks, and you really are a celebrity. Who's going to say no to that? Probably nobody unless you were super smart about the compliance and not wanting to get in trouble with the NCAA. But this is something that goes on very frequently. And a lot of guys aren't going to get caught because if you roll into a bar and someone's like, oh, hey, great game last weekend here. I'll buy you a drink. Who's going to find out that that happened? Probably nobody. So this does go on. And this is probably one of the more common NCAA violations that occurs. But at this point, everything is unfortunate. Everything is unrolling and unraveling itself, and this is one of the things that Terrell Pryor had received special treatment on. So we know how this scandal and investigation impacted the players, but in terms of affecting the Ohio State football program itself, Ohio State received a one-year postseason ban and a reduction of scholarships from 85 to 82 scholarships for the next three years. They also had to vacate records from the 2010 season and the 2011 Sugar Bowl win. They also had to forfeit around the $300,000 or so they won for appearing in the 2011 Sugar Bowl. So in terms of how the punishments affected the football program itself, it really wasn't anything that was too major. And I would say, all things considered, they got by, I'm not going to say easy, but it could have been a lot worse. Now... I always I always think it's funny when they vacate records and wins. It's like, well, everybody knows Ohio State beat Arkansas in the 2011 Sugar Bowl. You might not remember it now because it's lasted, you know, it's been a decade. But it's similar to Reggie Bush and how he was the Heisman Trophy winner. But because of his investigation and how he was involved with breaking rules in the NCAA, he had to give up the Heisman Trophy back to the Heisman Trust. Technically, that win is vacated for Reggie and technically he's not the Heisman Trophy winner in 2005 but he was still able to pretty much say look I was the best player in the country whether or not it goes on record doesn't actually mean I wasn't the best player so as we look at this now in the present day NIL is a thing name image and likeness and players can now benefit off of their name so if you want to sign autographs for a little bit of money, 
you can benefit off that. If you want to appear in a commercial for Bose headphones and make some money, you can benefit off that. If you want to run a summer camp and charge $100 per kid that comes through, you can collect that money for a profit and benefit on that. So you look back at this now, and it does seem kind of silly that this was even a problem. It's The only problem is they were breaking the rules at the time. Now, were the rules at the time and was the NCAA who was enforcing and making these rules behind of the times? I think so, and I think that's why you know the government and everybody else had to step in in order to actually put the NIL into effect and pretty much force the NCAA to change. But recently, in an article by The Athletic in July of 2021, under these new NIL laws, Trill Pryor was calling for the NCAA to reinstate the team's vacated wins from the 2010 season. This has not happened as of yet, but you can tell that even though a decade has passed and these guys have moved on with their lives, with the NIL, people still, you know, they still remember this thing and they still don't want their name that tarnished. And it's important to Terrell Pryor. I'm sure it's important to the other Ohio State Buckeye players as well. But We'll see if the NCAA does anything with this. And I'm curious to see if they will do anything with Reggie Bush and giving back his Heisman Trophy. Look back at some of our most recent pods if you haven't already. We took a deep dive into USC and the investigation that went on there. But this situation felt similar in a sense to what happened with USC due to the fact that there seemed to be one main component that existed here and in USC was that there was a lack of institutional control. The fact that this tattoo gate and this tattoo scandal and the violations that came from that uncovered that there were further violations going on. And it seemed like it was just a cloud of smoke covering a big fire that was going on at Ohio State. Now, since then, Ohio State's compliance offense has really taken things pretty seriously. And they seem to overreact when something comes up. But the biggest thing is that they're just scared that the NCAA is going to punish them for, you know, figuring out that there was another violation of rules. Now, with that being said, universities are allowed to self-impose bans or violations themselves, and the NCAA can review that and pretty much advise whether or not they agree with that. Ohio State is one of those programs now to where if they found out, for instance, Chase Young was a defensive end for Ohio State in 2019, it came out during the 2019 season that the previous year he had taken a loan from somebody to fly out his girlfriend so he could so she could watch him play in the Rose Bowl the previous season. He paid back the loan in full. And if you think about that, that's not a big deal. But it's against the rules at the time. And Ohio State, the compliance office found out. They said, look, we're going to suspend Chase Young for two games, which was kind of overkill, but... It pretty much confirmed that the NCAA wasn't going to do anything further, and they agreed with that statement. So things have really changed quite a bit since this investigation has happened and taken place. But, you know, Ohio State fans and college football fans look back, and this was a pretty big deal at the time. Okay, so that will conclude this week's episode of Silent Exposure 110. So thank you for listening. Ratings and reviews are always appreciated, so feel free to leave one on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. And you can follow us on our social medias to stay up to date on our most current information. So you can follow us on Twitter at Sideline Exposed and then on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Sideline Exposure. So 
even though we're in the off season, we're continuing to bring you guys new content every Sunday. So stay tuned for a new episode dropping next week. Thanks for listening.